there's always a way into a broader conversation. I love that about fungi. Welcome to Applied Mycology. I'm your host, Leaf, here with your other host, Craig. Greetings. And that was today's guest, Doug Beerend. Doug is a journalist, a myco-enthusiast, and the author of the brand new book, In Search of Mycotopia, Citizen Science, Fungi Fanatics, and the Untapped Potential of Mushrooms. Doug brings a variety of perspectives regarding the roles fungi play in people's lives, including the use of mycelium as a metaphor and as an example to follow. Mycelium is emerging as a subject of observation, as, as a symbol, in the midst of people who are taking it up as an example of reciprocity, symbiosis, of creating life from decay, what I think are probably good values to imbue a symbol with. Doug traveled the country and talked to a wide range of interesting people in the process of writing his book, shedding light on all sorts of facets that fungi and mushrooms and mycelium are playing in people's lives and how they're influencing culture. Let's get into our discussion right now with Doug Beerend here in the Applied Mycology podcast. Doug, thanks for joining us. Definitely excited to uh, have you on and hear more about the book you've been working on. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, I'm excited about this conversation here with Doug Beerend, the author of the new book, In Search of Mycotopia, Citizen Science, Fungi Fanatics, and the Untapped Potential of Mushrooms. Mycotopia. And, uh, yeah, it's, I'm excited to see how this turns out because I remember meeting you uh, along the path of you writing this book <laughs> in these various uh, mycological scenes that you frequented and researched. My first question, though, Doug, is why didn't you include any of our conversations in the book? <laughs> I was wondering if that was going to come up. I'm glad we can clear the air about this at the beginning. Yeah, I was, I was actually kind of bummed that uh, I wasn't able to incorporate <laughs> Because we did keep running into each other um, oh, throughout you again? this experience. Yeah, like, oh, there's Leaf. I want to get, oh, get through this again. That um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm just giving you a hard time. <laughs> no, but it's true. And it's kind of funny to me because, uh, you know, Craig is like in the book as well. And, and so it, it feels right that my first conversation about the book should be with two people who are in the book. You do get a mention, Leaf. Uh, I, I, I do appreciate that. that. I saw I saw the the acknowledgments. I I appreciate okay, that. I'm, I there's better people to share their voices with on this topic, anyways. And uh, I just like the format of it because you really do a good job at illustrating a lot of these people involved in this world, but kind of getting into like who they are as characters, <laughs> because so many of them have such you know unique, interesting, fascinating quirks. So I guess almost fortunately for me, people won't realize the character I am from reading your book. Your true self is, uh, is safely left out of these pages. Um, <laughs> I'm really glad that you say that, though, because, yeah, to me, it really was um, primarily an opportunity to sort of boost the signal of people who are doing work that I find interesting or promising in this space. And the idea that they are coming through is, is reassuring. It makes me think maybe I did it, accomplish that goal at least. And it does also highlight a, the existence of a community. Most people who are just beginning to get into fungi or learn about mushrooms, learn about all these things that have been well documented, it's really kind of taken off in the mainstream now, which is really kind of cool. But also help people understand that there has been a community already in existence and also has kind of evolved over the years. 
issues as kind of recurring into our common, the current position and form. Yeah. And that community is so diverse and has so many perspectives. And I mean, just diving into the kind of the broad themes of the book right off the bat, to me, there's like something fitting about the fact that fungi of all things are exciting people in all of these different areas of the world and uh, and certainly in this country uh, with all of these ways of engaging from micro-remediation to food uh, sovereignty and medicinal sovereignty and local community economies and from a variety of backgrounds and demographics. And this was really like sort of dropping a marble into the machine in a way and like seeing where it bounced in terms of writing the book and reporting it. There's so many people doing so many interesting and diverse things that the challenge for me really was like to figure out who to represent and how and why and obviously had to leave out a massive amount of content and and characters that could have filled it in even better but yeah it's widespread diverse i get the sense it's still growing and and i think deepening maybe at this point i feel like there was a flash of like popular interests that we're still seeing play out. But I get the sense that, especially in the age of COVID now, there aren't these mycological festivals happening this year that really play a prominent role in the book too, where you got to see these cross sections that we're talking about in real life, you know, but I don't feel like the inertia has ended as a result of this total change in our social order. It it feels like it's carrying on as am I, so I'll stop. (laughs) I like what you mentioned about maybe more depth emerging as well, because not that there haven't been people who have been in on the mycology culture and the applied mycology and its applications for decades at this point, but it's really culturally become a lot more popular in maybe the last 10 years. And I think there's probably a lot of waves of people who got really infatuated with this material at some point in the last decade. But I think a lot of what's happening now is even though it's becoming more popular, there's also a it's like a, a maturation or it's kind of like the, you know, the, the initial flame of the romance kind of getting a little softer and kind of becoming more into this pragmatic relationship state of things. Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people who, you know, first get immersed in just how much interesting, fascinating material there is related to fungi and mushrooms and the culture, it's like this, like, wow, this is incredible. I really want to, you know, get get into this. And it's it's like this uh, amazing, you know, it's almost like falling in love with nature again, a type of experience. But after enough time, you know, it has to become a little less of the that initial burning desire and kind of level off into how do I maintain a healthy relationship with fungi through my life and use that to create a healthier relationship with the rest of the world. You describe a a honeymoon period with fungi. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, that's that was the word I was probably looking for. Yes, and it's over for lots of us. I think that's an armillaria uh, species. Um, biggest biggest <laughs> one in the world. It's a joke. Um, <laughs> Pungus among us. Um, yeah, it, it's uh, it. I guess you know this is just for me, kind of sparking a, a realization about the intention of the book. I guess part of the intention, which was to intervene upon a certain discourse around mushrooms that, I mean, to put it simply, you you hear often that mushrooms will save the world, which, you know, may be true. I think to an extent it is true. Maybe not for us, ultimately, but uh, the idea that there's like a solution inherent in fungi that you can just like plug 
a mushroom into these problems that we face as a society and solve them is counter to what I think you learn once you go down this path and become uh, conscious of, you know, it starts with fungi's role in an ecosystem and in nature, and that leads you inevitably to recognize other parts of those ecosystems to which it's all connected and, and fungi sort of, you know, appropriately enough, uh, blend in with this much larger and interconnected co-constructed reality and it's a perspective shift that i think is necessary for us as a species to like recognize our role in an ecosystem rather than our like dominance of it and i guess to me there was an opportunity i saw an opportunity in this kind of like quote unquote radical mycology discourse which is a loaded thing but uh i think it captures some of like this emerging perspective that I don't know if it's really connected to the end of the honeymoon period, but I, I kind of feel like it might be that people are realizing in this space and through their fascination with fungi that there's a responsibility that comes with this consciousness. It's not all just like learning new, colorful, interesting species or uh, having psychedelic experiences and coming through with our problems solved, but there's like actually some fundamental changes, some hard work that we need to do to rise up to the message of the mushroom, as it were. So that deepening that we're talking about, I feel like is probably the start, hopefully, I should say the start of that process. And, you know, if people continue to get interested and continue to be drawn into the world of fungi, despite the fact that it invites you to change your way of life and invites us all to change our way of life, or can do that. Yeah, I think that's a good thing. And I wanted to try to move that ball forward a little bit yeah i definitely think most people that are getting into fungi it's kind of this well not kind of it is a realization that there's this void of knowledge for you know perspective to biology we've been taught about so it's the aspect of humanity we're really good at pattern recognition so when there is a lack of a pattern or a lack of some kind of reference point where we're kind of take note of it it's like pause like whoa like what's this this is here but that moment of unexpected surprise that fungi provides it definitely is a gateway to ecological literacy because it's definitely a thread where at least for me once it was fungi i was understanding kind of soil and then other micro microorganisms in the soil then plants and then you start moving into this understanding of that you start looking at ecologies as a whole picture of everything connected as the system the dynamic that it's a it's a whole that you you can reduce it down to individual species or organisms but at the end of the day it's they're all living in collaboration with one another so yeah i think definitely with respect to fungi there is an opportunity that they can save you know quote unquote our world you know definitely we need some deconstruction of the anthrocentric narrative but hmm. at the end of the day we get either we can engage in behavior that we work with fungi to bring about a world that is far more diverse and healthy and bountiful or we can engage in activity that the fungi will just pick up the pieces regardless of what, whether the state of us at the end of the day or not. Right. Noticing fungi is that huge turning point for a number of people because as a species, we're incredibly good at pattern recognition and is essential for our survival. So when we realized there was this whole vacuum of knowledge around this one kingdom of life, we, we take pause and take notice of it. And so as a result, it, it becomes like, this thread to learning more about ecological literacy because fungi are ubiquitous in all these different roles. So there is this transformation from a curiosity or a curio to becoming 
aware and understand the ubiquity at the same time becoming enthralled and elated with this new information generating that dopamine but also serotonin that kind of reward (laughs) system but definitely i guess maybe kind of going off the idea of the end of the honeymoon period we know so little about them with respect because they've been looked at in such a small amount respect to other organisms that we understand with pursuit of study and understanding there are those moments where you unlock this new information or this realization or this kind of connection point that does inspire that that moment of bliss or excitement that when you first learned about them or first had kind of had that aha moment. So I think for perspective that fungi, you know, saving our world, I think we can learn to interact with other organisms and fungi to participate in the behaviors that lead to more biodiversity and more bountiful ecology on a healthier place from an ecological standpoint, environmental standpoint, and, you know, even social standpoint. Or we can continue on business as usual, engaging in activities, the kind of anthropogenic activity that, you know, the bad Anthropocene versus the good Anthropocene, where we're extracting, reducing biodiversity. And at the end of the day, fungi will carry on picking up the pieces regardless if we're around or not. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're really old, you know, and they demonstrate what a resilient or what one form, I guess, of a resilient way of being in the world looks like. So they set an example that we can learn from. And I also feel like this public interest in them is emerging, maybe coincidentally, maybe for uh, for other reasons, but um, it's emerging at a time when we're noticing collectively that our systems are failing us, that we're failing our planet and our, our responsibility as members of an ecosystem, of all sorts of ecosystems and ecologies that uh, we probably won't for a long time understand at a fundamental level. And so this, I mean, touches on some of that traditional ecological knowledge conversation about like finding a role that doesn't necessarily put us into a mastering position. But all that to say that I think this interest in fungi is emerging at a really interesting time because it's drawing people in, it's opening up doors to that ecological perspective and understanding. And at the same time, giving us a cause to question how we're doing things on a broader level. And it feels like this could get sucked up into the hype cycle of every other trend. And certainly it's being monetized more and more. There's a lot of people with dollar signs in their eyes, you know, as you would expect with any emerging opportunity. It's important to kind of seize the narrative at this moment when everyone's getting interested, everything's falling apart, you know, and there just happens to be this massively important fundamental dimension of the natural world that has just been overlooked by and large or misunderstood for, you know, at least as far as like science is concerned for forever, only until what was it in the 1950s that it was uh, even described as its own kingdom. Yeah. Was, um, uh, I think they were considered non photosynthesizing plants kind of right. learn. They were with like a, well, they, um, yeah, so the kind of this oddball, and then it's interesting. The same year we landed on the moon was the same year that fungi were given their own taxon, nineteen sixty-nine. That's right. Okay, so it was in the sixties, and uh, for that to be happening now, for this like you were describing it as a void in our understanding to be presented to us, it feels like a, a great opportunity to just sort of question our place in that picture. It's like there's a gigantic hole in our understanding of ecosystems and the natural world and that's cause to be humble 
I think, and to question things. And, and I see a lot of that emerging in the way that people are working with fungi and relating to them and, and talking about them and around them. So uh, that's something I want to encourage. I think that's a good thing and a necessary thing. The more we are humbled by what we learn and the less that we see it as something to exploit or an opportunity to jump on, the better. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I have this old uh, mycology book. It's called Exploitation of Fungi. <laughs> but it's really, it's just the proceedings of a mycological symposium. It was research from the early 2000s about like sequencing the genomes of plant pathogens and mycoremediation using different fungi for pregnant contaminants. But, you know, there was nothing like cheeky or ironic about it. It was right. just like the academic view. How do we exploit these organisms to improve human society? And, and you know, and a lot of the activities that, you know, maybe you know, very conscious mycologists engage in. It's like similar activities. It's just the uh, the framing almost. And what you were just saying, it kind of was making me think of what I got out of the kind of the conclusion of the book to take it all the way to the end where, mm -hmm. you you know, because you'd been exploring all these topics, these different mycotechnologies, these cultures. And, and I got the sense that there was a feeling of maybe these, you know, mycelium-based technologies are going to help humanity, you know, solve its problems. Maybe it'll help with pollution, food security. Maybe not. It's hard to know. But the thing that's really certain about is for people who start, you know, exploring this realm of knowledge and this type of experience and this component of the natural world that maybe isn't as common, that whether or not there's any real tangible solutions or inventions created that help solve modern humanity's woes, there's a profound change in the way we can relate to and understand nature and the world around us as a whole when we start understanding fungi and their what they do because they are such this fundamental type of organism to all of the complex life on the earth and so it's like even if you're not inventing the technique of how to get rid of all the environmental pollution or make biological plastic substitutes or whatever people are trying to do just by expanding or modifying or incorporating one's mind and one's thinking to be aware of that fungi are here and just the concepts of mycelial networks that that's in and of itself just that it's like a kind of a transformational quality that can happen mm. and i know from my experience of doing ecology research being in various forms of natural sciences and when I started really learning more about fungi, it was kind of this like, aha, oh, that's what's kind of in between and inside and everything and what's doing all the processes that we don't really talk as much about. Mm. And, you know, a lot of more general ecology discussions. So it's, it's like there's this benefit that doesn't have to be about a goal-based, a uh, product-based thing of why it's beneficial to immerse oneself with the realm of fungi, but it's really like any form of coming into a deeper understanding of how the natural world actually functions. Fungi are this like really potent tool within that realm that can be a real catalyst for a lot of people and how they relate with nature and humanity and their understanding of reality. Mm. Yeah. I mean, something that, that I kept coming back to and continue to as I learn more about fungi, because I'm not a mycologist or a scientist, I keep thinking of them as facilitators first and foremost. They're in the world around us facilitating things that we see and rely upon and 
in terms of like setting an example for us, I feel like that's a loaded one. People start to use phrases like think like a mushroom or think fungi or, and I think that the way that it changes our thinking is probably its most important potential contribution uh, to us. It's great that we can teach them to eat cigarette butts or to break down hydrocarbons. And I think that that work is important. You know, it's one of those like necessary, but probably insufficient kind of things where, you know, if you, if you start looking for mushrooms and you start to look at trees because you want to find the right, the certain kind of mushroom, or you start to look at the aspect of the soil, you know, you start to see the bigger picture. If you're looking at our problems that we're trying to solve, then you have to point to the sources of the problems, you know, not just try to stick a mushroom on them. And there's the example just ahead of the section that you're referencing where I go to Ecuador and I visit with Lexi Gropper in Sucumbios, which is massively contaminated that whole region by extraction, by um, the petrochemical industry. And she originally went there as part of a project to find mushrooms, a species of fungi that could help to break down the contamination. And that work is ongoing, but her work now is more focused on like social remediation and not to speak for her, but she seemed to have become frustrated with the solutionist sort of mindset that seems to drive a lot of the like micro remediation kind of conversation. If we can just find the right species, the right suite of fungal strains, we can clean the oil and, and, you know, I don't know what you do with the mushrooms that have taken it all up afterwards, but you know, there's, there's potential there she started to see that the problem was like, actually these people in this region have forgotten what healthy soil looks like. You know, farmers in the area don't know how to assess their soil because it's been like over a generation since they had any <laughs> that was uh, not contaminated. So to me, it's a really potent example of how you start to see the mushroom for the forest as it were, or the forest for the mushroom. And you start to see the problems we face for what they really are, which are collective social problems. And that's probably where the solutions that we really need to be pursuing actually lie. And mushrooms can bring people to that awareness. And I think that's more exciting personally than finding a strain that can eat styrofoam or something, which is also great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It does have a little bit of a reductionist ring to it though. The, we'll just find the one species of fungus to break down this thing. It might be multiple. It might be more complicated, but you mentioned how you are not a scientist or a mycologist. Do you want to spend a little bit of time talking about your professional background and what led you to, you know, becoming so fascinated and eventually working within this realm? I'm not sure if I would even feel comfortable saying that I'm working within this realm because, <laughs> you know, like my role in all of this is as a journalist. Um, That's work, is, though. I mean, you know, I, I didn't call you a mycologist, but <laughs> and I really appreciate that. Um, it's definitely, so... a, definitely a term that I think people that work with it that you know maybe in a more applied sense, maybe they don't have a degree in it, do have to wrestle with and get some context to it. But it's important to document the emerging community that it is in. Well, I'm sure like the mycologists appreciate me not characterizing myself as one either. But I'm basically professionally curious and. Everything I've found myself doing in life has been pretty unexpected and unlikely. I mean, I was a guitar teacher for close to a decade before I um, started writing professionally, and I ended up choosing to get a degree in journalism instead of music, which shows how success-oriented I am. And uh, 
maybe the best way to kind of explain how I found myself here is just to describe the sequence of events, which is that I, I mean, I originally, you know, had an interest in writing about technology and media. And I had this notion that there were kind of touching on the themes that we've already covered, like there were solutions to be found in these emerging technologies and, you know, ways of relating and connecting. Ultimately, it became a very disillusioning endeavor because at the end of the day, it's dominated technology in terms of any solutions it can provide. It's dominated by what provides a return to investors, you know, and it's, it's subject to the same logics and systems that created the very problems that, you know, I hoped to see technology solve or that we hope to see mycology contribute to a solution for, you know. So through a, a series of unexpected events, I found myself writing about food. And the first piece I wrote for one outlet in particular was a profile of Smugtown mushrooms. The first person that we encounter in this book is actually the first person that I met in this journey that brought me to this point. And uh, that's Olga Sogas of uh, Smugtown Mushrooms in Rochester. And I was profiling her business, which was everything you, you might imagine a mushroom cultivation business to be. It was in this musty warehouse with, you know, all sorts of fungal curios uh, laid out around the, the guest area and these massive rooms filled with bags of substrate sprouting mushrooms from them. And it was all just this brand new site um, to me and, and was really uh, kind of perspective shifting in ways I didn't recognize at the time, in part because she took us out for what was my first foray to look for mushrooms in, in the woods. And it was this mystical experience. Honestly, we encountered all sorts of mushrooms, all of which were brand new to me. Artist conch, lion's mane growing out of a tree, maitake, and ended up eating it later, you know, for lunch that led to a awareness of this sense of abundance that I didn't even know was possible before that abundance that was just there in the woods, which lit up with mushrooms. As soon as we, you know, started seeing them, you couldn't help but see them and kind of realize that they've always been there. They're all around and we step over them or in a lot of cases, try to avoid them or, or destroy them. So like all of these themes kind of landed on me at once in the course of profiling this business, which also happened to be a business that didn't seem super interested in like dominating its market or even like making profit its driving motive. It, it seemed really more about like building community and, and trying to kind of foster uh, food resilience and local, you know, economic activity. And it was an example, I think, of what a lot of people call radical mycology. She characterized herself as a radical mycologist with some hesitation, I think, because that's a, a term that ref describes kind of a specific brand or aspect of this community. But yeah, it all just sort of exploded in one visit to Rochester where the, the existence of this community and this, I don't even know what to call it. I mean, the reality that people cultivated mushrooms this way was something I had never really considered and to step into the midst of it with no real context except for like a Paul Stamets video, which actually was the first time, now that I'm thinking about a sequence, this explanation, the first time I heard about mushrooms beyond just being something you could eat or find in the woods was the Paul Stamets Six Ways Mushrooms Can Save the World uh, video. And 
I actually ended up interviewing Paul Stamets for a technology website, which illustrates that transition I was talking about and spoke to that solutions mindset that I was still in. But after meeting with Olga and seeing that her project was one focused more on like facilitating the community around her rather than trying to, you know, solve the world's problems, it, it started to open my eyes to this way of thinking and this whole area of activity. And at the same time, I was becoming disillusioned with the tech discourse. And so it just sort of opened up this path for me to follow as I learned more and more about mushrooms and just became fascinated by fungi for its own sake. It also created opportunities to like write about these people and these ideas. And eventually that led to the opportunity to write a book about it. Yeah, you paint an interesting contrast there between the solutions-oriented mindset and almost more of this more of this savior complex versus more of this kind of grassroots community building thing. And and additionally, there seemed to be a contrast of first hearing about the potential of fungi through a presentation, a TED talk, and you know, being interested in that versus the actual embodied experiential uh, you know type of experience of walking into a facility where a real kind of grassroots mushroom business is being run and I I know it's a profound experience usually for people to actually walk into a room where there's just a bunch of spawn and mushrooms and stuff fruiting and it's almost like having the curtain pulled back mm-hmm. on a part of reality but this one's really interesting because it's like seeing an exhibition of this kingdom of life that maybe, you know, he'd seen here and there. But, like, if we have a bunch of fungal bodies all just concentrated in a single space, it's kind of a profound thing to experience if you're paying attention. I totally agree. And at some point in the book, I think I mentioned that it seems funny to me that fungi, of all things, would offer a path to this broader consciousness, ecological consciousness that we're talking about. Because... Really, if you take anything, pick any thread in the tapestry of the living world, you should be able to follow it to the same conclusion. But something about fungi is, and I think it's is alluring, especially alluring, and I think it's owing in part to the fact that it's been overlooked, that most people don't know anything about them, and that they've been maligned, you know, in many ways, at least in like Anglo culture. There's this gestalt shift that's just waiting for people to happen and yeah so stepping into a room full of mushrooms that people are growing on purpose you know and will make money on and that have all of these uses and offer all of this value is uh yeah it's a perspective shift that i get the sense more and more people are having it definitely is quite the non sequitur for sure. You know, it's it's interesting even too with teaching classes or workshops, you know, when you show someone a mat of mycelium, whether it's growing on a substrate block, which is in essence an artificial log or even on like cardboard, someone's brain doesn't fully register what's going on. Maybe they'll recognize the growth as a mold pattern, but it's different because usually this feeling of disgust or this desire not to be there. So it's interesting to think about how we as humans learned how to domesticate plants and animals. So most of our experience is very much related with them. Just as much we as domesticated them and they've gone through the process of artificial selection, we've also evolved with them as well. They've influenced the ways that we've developed as a result of interactions. But on the majority, it's only recently as a species that we've started interacting with fungi and cultivating them. 
thinking about how shiitakes, I think it's one of the first book I've learned how to cultivate as humans. And I kind of imagine like, what was the original shiitake like? You know, if the stem butts are kind of tough now, right. what was that? What was that shiitake before people bred and grew them out? We often do talk about the single largest organism on the planet being the smat of Armillaria ostea that's in the Cascade. But maybe that's not the biggest organism in the world at this point. As we're cultivating all these different types of white rod fungi, you know, oyster mushrooms, Ganoderma, Minoki, this aggregate biomass, possibly we're having this distributed organisms from mushroom cultivation. Mm. that they're just kind of living in these cultivated clusters that human beings have learned how to get them to emulate their natural environment because we want them to fruit in a productive manner on time. Think about how the biomass of animals, it's predominantly, I think, chickens, pigs, and cattle because we've selected them. And I think it's interesting, what are the fungal species that are coming to a size and function because we've started learning how to see them and work with them? Yeah, that's interesting. And just to lay that out a little more, if we have a potential cultivar of like shiitake or oyster mushroom or button mushrooms, and it's one specific strain, wherever that's grown out, it's the same organism. So if it's the strain of shiitake or oyster spawn coming from, say, Lambert or one of these big spawn production companies, and then we have dozens of farm producing thousands of pounds of mushroom of all the same strain, that's all the same organism that's right. existing all over the country. And the biomass might be larger than other large, you know, single contiguous organisms. Yeah, this brings up two interesting to me ideas. And one is that I think I heard that by this logic that or this rubric that you both articulated, that maybe cubensis are the most successful fungal organism ever, just because they have been cultivated so broadly. I don't know if that's true. Maybe button mushrooms, agaricus bisporus, are, are more heavily cultivated. But it also frames success of an organism in very human terms, I think, as far as like how much of it is there, how thoroughly does it dominate the ecosystem or the landscape. And the other thing that comes to mind in that context is how fungi raise questions about what constitutes an individual and whether are you judging by a strain, are you judging by a species, or are you judging by mating type configurations? Like there's so many ways to kind of assess how fungi relate to one another. That's something both of you know way more about than I, but I think that leads to conversations about, I mean, it's it's been seized upon by many people as a subversion of our concepts of binaries and what an individual is and what the role of an individual is in a collective. So like right off the bat, there's always a way into a broader conversation. I love that about fungi. It's pretty fascinating how they can tie those threads in so many ways. You visited a lot of places and talked to a lot of people throughout the process of writing this book. And did you find that what you experienced that was so profound when you visited Smugtown, beyond the fact that they're growing all these mushrooms, this interesting setting, but that it was this very community-based type of organization with, you know, almost humanistic priorities. Was that a common thread you noticed with people you met who were mushroom cultivators, farmers, researchers involved in mycology? Yeah, I think so. It felt to me like there was a sort of understanding or a common outlook that may or may not have been articulated or explicit. Maybe people in whom I was noticing this weren't noticing it themselves. Maybe I was projecting it. I, I can't be sure of that. But I visited what turned out to be a pretty diverse set of scenes and groups and did feel like there was just a sort of shared sense among them, unspoken. A lot of them, I think, and I dare to say a lot of us, people who have become fascinated by fungi, did so 
along similar paths. We kind of have similar stories about how we got there. And it's an open question to me why fungi seem to have that common import in people's lives. I think there are plenty of people who just see them as, in terms of like mushroom farming, I went to Kennett Square in Pennsylvania, which isn't mentioned in the book, but I took a tour of a large mushroom farm and talking with the people who ran it, it was clear like they are farmers. They see themselves as farmers. They are not there to realize a utopian vision of the world. Um, they're there to do business and to feed their families. And that's possible too. But for the people who are pursuing a relationship with this dimension of the natural world, doing business and creating personal brands or, you know, all, all the other kind of levels of activity, experimenting in microremediation, hosting festivals, all of that is happening on top of what appeared to me to be a common fellowship, a fungal fellowship <laughs> that may or may not be a conscious thing for everybody. But from my vantage point, I definitely saw, I wanted to say a through line, but uh, <laughs> thinking in terms of straight lines doesn't seem appropriate uh, in the context of fungi. As long as there's bifurcations right. in the line. The branching structure that we do see in fungi that is everywhere in nature, you know, in ourselves, the branching of our circulatory system, our respiratory system, our nervous system, the kind of cracking and fracturing we see in rivers, in hydrogeological systems, even in threads of roots of trees and plants. But fungi are embodying this very simple form, but incredibly effective in how they're able to distribute themselves over, over a surface area. And of course, there's the, I wanted to say low-hanging fruit, but now I want to say low-hanging fruiting bodies of um, this uh, mycelial metaphor that people seem to be sensitive to, even if they don't speak in those terms. But a lot of people do speak in very explicit terms about a mycelial mindset and spreading their spores. And, you know, I mean, that can take on other connotations too, if you want. But uh, the way that I'm hearing it said is in terms of sharing information, spreading knowledge, and I think more profoundly a way of thinking. And ultimately it's not even about the fungi which is a theme that I kind of keep coming back to. They are fundamental, but never at the center of what they're part of. You know, they are, again, facilitators. And some people, like I said, are explicitly thinking this way, but I think just in a sort of inevitable, like just by dint of their influence in people's lives, once they become conscious of and interested in fungi, they inevitably seem to start thinking more in these interconnected reciprocal terms and i feel like that expresses itself in subtle and explicit ways alike in all of these different facets of this mycoculture that is emerging in at least in north america which is the main ambit of the book and and it does feel like it's becoming more and more global seems like i keep seeing more work being done in in south and central america in these mm -hmm. realms and europe and it's, uh, and then, you know, you talk about Asia and they've had mycoculture like always and you know, right. lots of parts of Europe, too. That word facilitation, I find to be very intriguing and powerful. And like when you're saying that the fungi aren't really at the center of it, people use this term in the community sometimes of like the, the fungal ally. Mm -hmm. But it's almost like they're uh, helping, maybe helping people understand ourselves better or they facilitate us having a deeper understanding of what and who we are and maybe even reality in general because like Craig had mentioned with the hyphal branching and anastomosis it's very much resembles these patterns we see all throughout nature and they're almost like a living embodiment of these 
very fundamental patterns of nature. It's like they, they've really trimmed the fat to a certain mm -hmm. extent. And, <laughs> and, and they're low-fat foods too, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, but also a valid source of protein. Um, and they, uh, from what I understand, not to presume to make any nutritional assessments here, but they're just sort of the living expression of symbiosis, of reciprocity. I mean, and I think that that discourse too can be a little reductive. Like there are fungal pathogens. They are opportunistic I was about to say, like, they're the, you know, you say the living embodiment of, of symbiosis and reciprocality, but also a living embodiment of parasitism, because right. they're some of the best at doing that of any living organisms, too. Yeah, such as life, I guess. And maybe that's part of the lesson as well, that, like, nothing comes down to these simple Pollyanna, you know, descriptions of the world and our place in it. Like, nature is nature, and that's inherent in observing how fungi behave as well. But there's this ready and waiting path, I feel like, where people start to notice fungi, they get over whatever lingering aversion might have been inculcated through culture. And then they learn that well, we've actually had rich relationships with fungi, humans, I mean, for millennia, and they take many forms. And yet it's also deeply mysterious, so much yet to be learned, woefully understudied, and also at the level that most people will engage with them, if not just trying to get them out of their orchard or whatever is, you know, if not just assessing them as a parasite or a, you know, threat to timber board feet, they're probably assessing them at some level of an example of symbiosis or an example of a facilitation of some natural process. It could just be a facilitation of me eating when I walk into the woods, you know, like, and that's part of their strategy you know as well like being eaten is a, a reproduction strategy for many fungi and so it's just like at any angle from which you encounter them you see some natural useful function being played out it might just be useful for that fungus but it's usually from what i understand of fungal ecology useful to the ecology because they wouldn't have survived if they destroyed the ecologies on which they depend and i feel like that's maybe the ultimate lesson they could teach us at this moment I do think there's a definitely a caveat for over-anthropomorphizing them. Definitely the, the process by which they do symbolize a distributed and decentralized nature and how they do exist and how they grow is really important. Definitely can take a number of problems that we do have, like go down the list of, of them as, you know, kind of in our modern society, that there are good frameworks to learn from them and maybe implement in that example. But in the aspect, I do think about why fungi are all getting popular all of a sudden. It's it's something I've kind of thought about, and much as how the climate is changing at the same time, we're reducing biodiversity, and in the fact of biodiversity, we're kind of generating detritus. We're generating this ecological disturbance, which fungi, the decomposer fungi, do play a role in, and it's just much fungi in ecologies that have gone through a succession where they've gone through more biodiversity. They're incredibly prevalent, holding things together. They're also present in cleaning up and recycling nutrients as well. So I think about as the climate has shifted to become more mesothelic, especially in the northeastern region where I'm from, where the winters are getting much more milder and, and the summers are getting hotter and you're kind of having a leveling out. There's not a cold period. The springs and the falls are kind of getting really humid and wet and much like the inside of a fruiting chamber. So I do think about in certain areas, you know, we're possibly talking about fungi, making art about fungi, 
using metaphors about fungi and consuming fungi because we're seeing them more often. Whereas maybe it was much more of a niche discipline of people who had some kind of introduction along the line. So mm. this kind of infection thread might be a larger snapshot of what's happening on our current ecological um, progression. Yeah, and, and it's an aspect that came up a lot in, in hearing about the so-called neglected mega science of fungi, you know, this, again, massive aspect of our world that is often overlooked. It does often come down to just something as simple as like, they're ephemeral and you don't see them often, you know. They're more numerous and diverse, but also more cryptic in many cases than, you know, birds, which will fly over your head. You know, you can see them in large groups moving. It does often come down to something as simple as like, oh, I'm just seeing them for the first time, or I've noticed them for the first time. And there's value in that too, you know, learning to notice. There's a phrase Robin Wall Kimmerer uses called the art of noticing. And <laughs> I think there's something to that. Mushrooms, there's this applied dimension to them that, that's got a lot of promise and a lot of fascinating aspects to it. But fungi are also this opportunity to notice and I think for myself, it was fundamental to a shift in perspective so that when I'm in the woods now, it's a very different experience than it was before I became conscious of fungi. And that's not just because of mushrooms, but mushrooms played a massive role in opening my eyes to these other interactions to which they connect, which is essentially everything. And as you learn about fungi, you learn how prevalent they are in one's own body. Like we are ourselves vehicles for fungi and bacteria and in fact most of our mass is uh, microbial as i understand the uh, research that i read so that's profound i mean it's and it's profound on a existential level it's profound on a scientific and, and quotidian level yeah noticing fungi is definitely a acquired skill and it's interesting because even just finding mushrooms so you have to know kind of where to look how to look and there's a certain part of it that I think improves people's ability to see nature that, like many things, you know, and this has been a theme of the conversation, it applies to so much more than just fungi, like the same skills you would adapt in terms of how to see the bigger scene of the woods around you or how to like look at the ground and look up in the trees like those will help people observing all facets of nature, but maybe you have to look a little harder to find the mushrooms. But then also... It goes deeper than the mushrooms. It's more foundational because when we start thinking about not just observing mushrooms, but observing mycelium in the wild, it really does add another dimension to what we see when we're in nature. And like, for example, I went out in the woods yesterday and I saw some rotting tree. I didn't really see any mushrooms growing, but I picked up a stick under some leaves and there's just like this massive thread of mycelium that was holding two rotting pieces of wood together and it was pretty interesting to look at but the point is that you can pretty much always find mycelium if you go out into the woods it doesn't matter if it's dry and there's been no mushrooms growing you know if you pick up a leaf litter turn over a rotting log you'll probably see these white threads and i think it can like expand our appreciation from the fruiting body it's almost like the trophy it's this glorious ornate thing mm -hmm but also expanding the perception into the network that's always there and being aware of that. And, and these days, sometimes I feel like a really big nerd because I'm be like walking in the woods of people and you know, they know I'm into mycology and they want to like find mushrooms, but I'm just, you know, oh, look at this crazy network of white mycelial filaments. Isn't that awesome? And, you know, maybe they don't find it as fascinating as me, but uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's another layer that can go into it. 
I found that one has to have very uh, understanding roommates if they start to get interested in fungi because you assess bread mold very differently. <laughs> you know, your sense for what defines a, an acceptable kitchen might change or be pretty divergent. But yeah, in terms of noticing, I mean, that's one of the things about fungi that's so also profound, I think, is that if there's anywhere that we don't see fungi, it's just because we haven't looked for them there. <laughs> as far as I can tell, they are ubiquitous, essentially, to the planet. And that's fascinating in its own right. It's interesting to think about. They're definitely quite the non sequitur as an introduction to ecological literacy, because we do talk about fungi blindness, but also plant blindness, given the fact that so many plants look together, they're green, they all photosynthesize, you can chlorophyll. So, you know, aside from general forms, they kind of blur together, even when someone's walking out on the trail. And it's not a factor that we're not good at recognizing imagery or pattern. It's just more so been co-opted in our culture. We're more identifying logos or signatures or symbols that are relevant to our experience through the human environment. So it's definitely a way where we can start opening up the door or opening up this visual vocabulary where most people can identify the symbols of brands of different human-related companies or entities, organizations, hundreds of them but you know, often recognize less than one or two handfuls of native plant species. So it's interesting mm. how this is the infiltration, even to the point where as you progress along your journey of a fungal infatuation, even a stick in the wintertime that has all different types of these crust fungi or ascomycetes can be a whole world. You'll be looking at the stick very intently and someone will be walking by just on a walk with their headphones and kind of looking at you rather bizarrely. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Bumps on sticks, man. It's a whole different ecology. <laughs> especially in yeah. wintertime. It explodes the idea of smallness, I think, you know, or, or at least the association we have with small being insignificant because you put your nose into a log and you discover a universe if you're open to recognizing it or noticing it. And that, again, is a lesson, it feels like to me, but it's also just a reward. That means that every place you go, there's another scale of observation that you can indulge in and learn from the duality of fungi, they are microorganisms, but perchance they're ubiquitous, but they also have the ability of presenting themselves as this macro structure where the mass majority of them are microscopic. They're soil fungi. They're producing fruiting bodies that are very incredibly small where one needs to get out a microscope or a, a hand lens to look at. Whereas they do have this ability to present themselves these macro structures, but it's these macro structures like these calling cards to remind you the ubiquity of this enmeshed network of mycelium of so many different species and ecologies and environments. Yeah. And in terms of symbolism, I mean, there is a pretty robust set of symbolic kind of associations different for various cultures but when it comes to mushrooms themselves i think it's interesting that in this subculture and maybe appropriately given the relationship between mycelium and the fruiting bodies but like in the applied mycology and radical mycology and what dr joanna steinhardt is an ethnographer who um, documented a lot of this scene on the west coast she calls this milieu diy mycology in that space mycelium is loaded with all of this metaphorical value and symbolic value and is recognized in a way that you know, i don't know if that'll ever gain the the popular traction that like just the silhouette of a mushroom has currently and all the associations it has but maybe that's a good thing you know maybe it's good that it's starting not from a place of like oh that's something that'll make you trip or kill you or that's gross or you know so on and so on mycelium is emerging as a subject of observation as as a symbol in the midst of people who 
are taking it up as an example of reciprocity, symbiosis, of creating life from decay, what I think are probably good values to imbue a symbol with, what I think are probably good values to imbue a symbol with, and I hope that catches on. Do you think that people first seeing fungi and then learning how to work with fungi as a means to recognize and employ much of this traditional ecological knowledge of the whole of things being interconnected and linked not just in a symbolic way but an actual functional way as if they were you know a composite organism on a vast scale which is quite different from much of the ways we understand and perceive the world in a reduced fashion which you know cartesian reduction definitely has allowed us to learn incredible amount of water world but we're at the point now where we're able to kind of make these connections across disciplines and focuses and realize where these questions or curiosities people in different fields have been looking at, realizing adjacently there are similar questions, but also solutions by bringing these different fields of studies or collaborations together. So in a much larger metaphor, the factor is just as much as fungi can be decomposers or pathogens in situations where there's not much diversity, in situations where there is increased diversity, you have this more of this metamutualism, where aside from the mutualistic fungi that are there being a mycorrhizal association which we understand as being one of the most common understandings of fungi, even as I think back to my manual in biology 101 lab, every kingdom had, you know, a page, page and a half fungi had a paragraph, and it was very simply form mycorrhizal association in plants uh, or decompose of organic matter. But the reality is this might be a situation based upon the current state of the ecology or an indicator where maybe they're playing roles more so as pathogens or as decomposers due to the fact of the current abundance of what organic matter is around, where it's far more advantageous to survive as a scavenger or a parasite, whereas in an increased environment where there's more focus on the robust ecology and biodiversity, the roles shift to be more of a facilitator. So this might be a way of looking at much of this traditional ecological knowledge as a means to help understand the more so, how, how do we understand the, as more so it's held out as, as a process where, you know, much of we understand is reducing things. It could be an epistemology of how do we understand not as separate and discrete, but very much interconnected, not as the other, but as the connected whole. Mm, yeah, I don't think it's a total coincidence that people are looking to fungi and exploring them and finding all of these interesting ways of relating to them at the same time that like intersectionality as a discourse is becoming more and more mainstream and people are thinking in these terms of relations and connections rather than demarcated you know interests or various agents interacting they're looking at that meta picture, I think, more and more of like, oh, we're part of a society or an ecosystem. And there are roles within that that you can separate and examine, but they're meaningless ultimately or woefully incomplete without everything that surrounds them and to which they connect. So yeah, as far as like the traditional ecological knowledge part of it goes, my sense is that there's a receptivity among people who are acculturated to a much more Western, I'll call it, quotidian form of science that this journey we've been describing that so many people seem to be going through of, of awakening to ecologies and levels of scale and interconnectedness in nature and our part in that there's a value change almost that comes with that you know i hear a lot of people talking about meeting mushrooms in the woods and there's an, an almost animist thread even among people who are doing like genetic sequencing and cultivating breeding like at a high level of precision you know with scientific instruments there's a an attitude and a consciousness attendant to that i think 
that I, I mean, I can't speak for traditional ecological knowledge. I am not of that world. I'm very much, you know, coming more from the other side, if it's even fair to call it a dichotomy that way. But I do see a bridging occurring there. And, and again, fungi seem to be offering that bridge in a way that feels right for the time. Maybe we could dig a little deeper into these parallel metaphors between the biological, ecological role of fungi connecting and facilitating all these interactions and there being maybe a blurry, vague line as to where the individual ends and begins. And at the same time, kind of the interconnectivity of this mycological subculture that, you know, we mentioned smug town mushrooms and having this very community foundational vibe. And it seems like there's various groups and organizations that it's like a mycological theme. And even you'll see it at certain mycology gatherings. But there also seems to be bringing together a lot of different, maybe separate cultures, maybe not so separate cultures, but between permaculture and regenerative agriculture, but also anarchist philosophy, mm-hmm. feminism, anti-imperialist thought, uh, you know, and you'd mentioned kind of the intersectionality. And it's almost like there's these parallel in the human culture or social sphere versus what fungi do in the biological. Mm-hmm. And do you feel from your experience that these different kind of human subcultures that are sometimes tied together by mycology or seem to be spurred on within the subculture, is that something you'd feel like is an emergent property of young kind of open-minded or people of diverse backgrounds embracing fungi? Or do you think that we kind of been mentioning before it's more of the fungi or a, a template that people who are interested in any type of pursuit or philosophy can kind of use fungi as a model? Or I would say in terms of contrasting that versus that the more you learn about fungi, the more you're just going to start to embrace a, you know, anti-imperialist mindset. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I think it's a self-selecting community. I mean, if I could call it one community to start with, but at the same time, maybe it's got more to do with the moment we're living in. And again, where people are looking for answers, are recognizing a paucity in a relationship to the world and to one another. And by the world, I mean nature. And there are only so many places to look for answers. And I was looking in the realms of technology. And I feel like a lot of people are, are increasingly left cold in that dialogue in that area. And I think maybe generally there's a broad shift toward like recognizing the unsustainability of our systems, recognizing our codependence with one another and again with nature and, and our inseparability from nature. Like these are all things that mushrooms and fungi bring us to understand or to recognize, I think, in pretty explicit ways that we've already talked about. But I don't know that it's anything in their nature I guess what I'm struggling with is wondering if it is the fungi itself or if it's just the state of affairs on our end that like fungi just happen to be what is the most well positioned to reflect, you know, our needs and wants for society. And so there are all these ways in to relationship with fungi and whether that's as an entrepreneur or as a researcher and a tinkerer, a naturalist, a permaculturist, and just someone who, you know, from a spiritual dimension, like there are ways, and I think fungi are uniquely imbued as the center of inquiry for this sort of thing. Like if you're looking for spiritual insights, there are mushrooms that will facilitate some mind expanding experiences. If you're looking for a perspective on how nature works or how food systems might be more resilient or how we might redress some of the damage we've done to the planet and to certain communities, 
there just happens to be a fungal perspective on that. So I feel like appropriately enough, the internet is a huge part of why we're seeing this I want to say the word anastomosis, the hyphae connecting. Uh, these mycelial metaphors are like playing out across the country and across the planet. There's a lot of similar activity happening in the UK, for example. And the scene in, in the US from just in the last couple of years, as I've been reporting this book, seems to have like bridged or started to connect. I feel like what was happening on the West Coast was sort of its own realm. And what was happening on the East Coast was its own thing. And now there's just a sort of broader mycological culture in the United States that's forming. And in the book at the POC fungi community gathering in Kumeye territory, as they would say, we would call it San Diego. It was a gathering of indigenous and BIPOC is the term often used. People who were making mushroom tinctures and taking up fungi, not because they saw an opportunity to start a medicinals business or something, but because it was like an opportunity for them to gather and share medicine and stimulate economic activity and build solidarity and community that was you know mostly people from the area but also several people from the east coast including myself including olga who drove there from new york from rochester that i feel like from what i've observed that connection is relatively new and it feels like this mycelial mat of fungal culture in uh, the united states is um is fusing into one I, I really don't want to over overstress the mycelial metaphors here, so I don't know if I'm even <laughs> making sense or if I'm answering the question directly. Sure you are. It's all happening. No, I think uh, they can start to sound tiresome for people who spend a lot of time thinking about fungi and talking about with other people, but I feel like it takes a while for them to become tiresome because they are so uh, profound and useful, all the fungal metaphors. And so we'll let you keep going on and on about them here because that's part of the theme of what we're trying to communicate. But I think it's cool that you bring up that East Coast, West Coast divide that did seem to be, I mean, I think it still is a thing, but much more of a thing. And I, I just think about it in the context of me and Craig first met at the Radical Mycology Convergence in 2018 yep. that was in Oregon. And uh, and I you were there too, right, Doug? I was there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I had no, I no idea. We didn't cross paths that time. Not that time. <laughs> no, it wasn't until later. But I remember when I went there. It was like that event. It was very West Coast centric, and you know, I feel like I was on a short list of people who weren't coming from that part of the country. Because in two years before that, I went to the Radical Mycology Convergence in Wingdale, New York. And that was very much almost everyone was from the East Coast and mostly the Northeast, not even a lot of Southerners there like myself. But it was interesting just like feeling there was a completely different cultural dynamic and feeling between those two events, between the New York and the Oregon energy. But I guess you're observing that that gap is getting smaller, do you think? I think so, yeah. And as for even more connections, I'm five miles from Wingdale right now. And actually my roommate is one of the hosts of that uh, event. Oh. Um, so it's, <laughs> and was my roommate when I first discovered fungi. And we both sort of got taken on this ride at the same time in different directions. But yeah, that was a really good event. It was very influential and profound for me because, you know, it kind of had this fun, loose, open community vibe. 
almost like a music festival, except for everyone's learning about permaculture and fungi the whole time. And right. then and then there's like a bonfire and some people have an acoustic jam. But there's like a, such a unifying concept to the gathering. You know, cause some people were just kind of curious. Some people were doing mushroom businesses. But it's kind of like all these eclectic group of people from various backgrounds but there's something we can all unite around that has some sort of embodied experiential thing, you know, connecting to nature. And that's mm-hmm. something that, you know, there's all sorts of events and gatherings and parties and things like that that happen. And they often, not to sound like too much of a prude, but they often, you know, kind of have a little bit of a hedonistic unifying quality to it, as in that, like, what's the point of being there to have fun and, you know, stimulate your senses. But, you know, with these mycology gatherings, there was kind of like a, you know, it's like cool people are, you know, into different things, but there's this unifying purpose or cause that I think then people who attend them get this inspiration going forward. Maybe I'm not such a strange weirdo that's doing stuff (laughs) that nobody understands that, oh, there's other people out there who are into this too. Yeah, I think with festivals, especially with music festivals, the focus is more distraction, you know, kind of a retreat from something because that process of kind of the seasonal events usually focusing around the return of spring or the the end of summer, which are kind of very much rooted in human cultures around the world. But it's more distraction from kind of the woes and problems where definitely with many of the gatherings based around fungi, there's more of a concentration. Like it's a focus on ways we can make the world for a good Anthropocene. <laughs> so it's it definitely is quite an interesting aspect where you're meeting these people, you're learning, there's a shared enthusiasm and passion, and you still have that fun component when the sun sets and those same kind of revelries, but the revelry isn't the core focus as a means of like distraction from maybe something that's far more looming and oministic that may be a bad vibe. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, it feels like solidarity building to some extent based on what I experienced. And I tried to portray a few different gatherings in the book because there are so many and they're all very distinct even though there are deeply rooted unifying themes some were focused on poc and self-determination among marginalized communities others were more oriented toward the psychedelic and the medicinal qualities a lot of these themes popped up in one context and the other even though the context was totally different you know like Telluride Mushroom Festival and the POC Fungi Gathering or the New Moon Mycology Summit where like you're talking about white supremacy and colonialism and redistributive justice through land and you know more radical discourse on the one hand versus talking about entheogens and the research into psychedelic therapy and that sort of discourse taking precedence in another festival. I saw the same people at at these different places, and I heard similar themes and outlooks expressed, often in different language or with a different emphasis, but it was there. And it felt like, yeah, to compare it to like music festivals, it felt like people were relating. Like if I go to a music festival, I get the sense that people are relating to what's on the stage in a certain sense, or they're relating collectively in a different way. Whereas like in the fungi context, people are relating to the planet. They're there to find a relationship to the planet and to one another, ideally in a way that's lasting, as far as I can tell. And I'm being reductive, obviously, because there are people that are there for other reasons that just want to trip or, you know, have something to sell or whatever. But I don't think that defines the dynamic as much as the other thing, which is the impulse to form connections that last and that are meaningful and that reflect 
a consciousness about the planet and our place in nature. And I keep coming back to just the context of the world as it is today and where it's headed or apparently headed. It feels like that is creating the imperative for people to seek those connections. And maybe that's got something to do with the sense that the connections are going further and building a greater whole that's more consistent, whether you're on the West Coast or the East Coast. The problems we face are universal and the shift in consciousness that is necessary to use slightly fluffy terms here to meet those challenges is also broad. So yeah, I think there's something to that. A question here that I think we've alluded to, but might be good to address explicitly is in the process of writing this book, which really sounds like the journey started back in 2015. So some number of years went by. Do you feel like mushrooms and mushroom culture and mycology has become notably more popular and uh, and mainstream and just like broader societal discourses in that time span i feel like it has it's hard to be sure though because so much of that is based on what i mean there're like a number of levels to assess it at like the one is just people around me and obviously that is more and more comprised of people who are interested in this stuff or receptive to it. It's a trope, but it's true that as soon as you get into mushrooms, you become the mushroom person, you know, the mushroom guy or the mushroom lady. Yes, um, people always want to call me that, and I try to tell them, but I, I'm into plants and bacteria and animals too. I, I'm into the, all the other parts of nature. but You just get texts with, like, you know, usually they'll ask you, hey, I saw this on a hike. You know, definitely a number of my DMs on Instagram is just a picture with a question mark. <laughs> <laughs> it's, i didn't realize that was a human image processing algorithm <laughs> i mean we're all mechanical turks now there's I think. there's there's an app for that you know right there's a craig for that uh yeah my sense is that i think people are seeing them more often on the whole and i think a lot of the stigma that might have been a little more endemic culturally is changing is wearing away is giving way to a recognition that oh the mushrooms are just there and more people are eating them. You know, you're seeing the success of companies like Smallhold and the fact that people like William Patilla Brown or Mushroom Revival or these like outfits that are like operating by selling this really rare and to most people obscure fungus, they're Instagram influencers now, you know, like that's interesting. And I think a sign that there's maybe just less of an, a reflexive ick factor in general. And I'm getting texts from my friends too who are like hey check out what i'm grilling tonight and they've got king oysters and lion's mane on skewers and this is a guy from texas that i'm thinking of right now who's not my first avatar when i think of like a mushroom person but just through exposure and hearing his friends talk about it without uh, saying you at some point has normalized them i think and i mean they're maybe settling into a place in our collective kind of understanding as just another dimension of the natural world and we've got a ready and kind of broad but common understanding of what plants are and what they do what animals are and what they do what bacteria are and what they do fungi i feel like are maybe stepping up into that level of awareness and that's demystifying them a bit and destigmatizing them a bit because i think they are kind of uniquely maligned culturally at least in this part of the world so I think it's changing. I feel like you two would actually have more insight 
on that trend than I would because you're working in this space and you're talking to people on a practical level with fungi. So I'm curious how you would answer that question. Well, my perspective might be even more biased as a result of that, but I do feel that I noticed when I first really dove into mycology-related work, I got into mushroom farming back in 2016, and it did still feel relatively obscure at the time. Like, there have been several notable books published on the topics, and it was definitely expanding, but it felt a lot more like a little niche thing, and like there's only a handful of people in the area that actually know about this stuff, and over the past few years, it just seems that tons of people are doing home-scale mushroom cultivation around where I live. Way more people seem to be into medicinal mushroom products, and that might be due to some of the marketing and branding of bigger companies making mushroom coffee powder substitutes and things like that that are easier for the average consumer to kind of get into than like buy this alcohol extract tincture. And then the other side of it, I feel like I don't spend a lot of time on social media anymore, but... I did notice the amount of posts and articles on popular blogs addressing whether it's medicinal mushrooms, plastic eating fungi, mushroom farming, whatever. It it seemed to be increasing to some extent. I went from feeling like this is some really like specialized niche thing I'm doing to this is something that actually a lot of people are aware of. Yeah, I'm reminded of the fact that this is in the book, and I may have mentioned them before. I don't want to turn this into like advertising for anybody, but um, Smallhold in Brooklyn, like are in Vogue magazine, you know, there's a cultural receptivity to them and allure the fungi seem to be taking up. And maybe it's just a sign of our weird times that something that was perceived as weird and maybe deviant is now in the pages of Vogue magazine of all places. Yeah. And I think there's been a few cultural markers like that. Things I think of are the release of the Fantastic Fungi film, which yeah. after that came out, I don't know how many people like came up to me being like, have you seen this movie? Oh my gosh, fungi are so amazing. And I was like, yep, yep. Because <laughs> I, you know, I saw the movie, I thought it was cool, but you know, it wasn't like I was blew my mind because I already aware of most of the material in it. But just seeing how now all these people are like, oh, that movie was awesome, and it was almost good for my own personal business because all these people, you know, are like, oh, fungi are important. Hell, that guy knows about them. Let's talk to him. You know, and I and I think things like Paul Stamets going on the Joe Rogan experience, where he's, you know, now he's on a platform that 10 million people will see and, you know, various things like that that have really pushed certain mycological figures and ideas into not necessarily mainstream media, but like a much broader media sphere. Yeah. I mean, the Stamets uh, TED Talk is at the beginning of a particular arc of growing interest and it marks my initiation into this whole thing. And, you know, I think similarly with Fantastic Fungi, had I seen that film at the very beginning of all this, I would probably have been electrified by it as well. But having been studying fungi for some time at that point and being immersed in this milieu for a while, it probably didn't land as profoundly with me as it did for lots of people. And I really was struck by the apparent success of that film. Like it really seems to have engaged a lot of people with fungi. We talked about the deepening and the sort of end of the honeymoon phase at the beginning of this conversation. And I keep waiting to see the sign that like, all right, this trend is on the decline. It's flash in the pan and it's done. But 
it feels like it's not really of that nature. It feels like at the end of the day, what we're talking about is something that is endemic and fundamental, you know, to the way the world works, at least as far as life sustaining processes are concerned. And so the more we become familiar with that collectively, the deeper our relationship becomes to those organisms. I think the further it goes, I don't feel like it's going to take the shape of a bell curve. You know, I think it can only go up at least for for the foreseeable future. I feel like a book like yours can actually be very instrumental and helpful in this process because I'm thinking about the fantastic fungi film. And at the end, there's very, very brief interviews with some of the you know, next generation mm-hmm. applied mycologists like Peter McCoy and Trad Cotter and William Padilla Brown. But it's like they're letting them talk for 30 seconds or something. And then, okay, the movie's over. And I think in your book, you really kind of illustrate the story of some of these people, who they are, what they're really working on and what's driving them. And I think that's really helpful. So the people who want to learn more about, oh, this person seems like they're doing interesting work. Well, here's a story where you can really get into it, along with a lot of other really interesting people within this realm. And definitely these visual media resources take mycology from being something that's maybe a bit obtuse or cryptic or odd or bizarre and to definitely the common vernacular. Sucasa film is those incredible time-lapse shots because the time frame of fungi, they've considered part of the vegetable kingdom or even there's times I hear people refer to as like, oh, the mycelium is the vegetative structure. Mm -hmm. It's anything but. It's pretty dynamic. It's the, you know, that's the whole analogy. You know, we have a bias towards organisms that work on a similar time frame, you know, very Mm -hmm. much the watch pot never boils, the watch clock never really moves. But it's the factor that there's just a grand awareness. But definitely at the end of the film, there's like this drop off point. Okay, like what's next, right? You're almost waiting for like the trailer for the sequel where they're going to Mm -hmm. interview people. But yeah, there's definitely been this desire to learn more. Even, yeah, the New York Times Magazine just put out a new article about Suzanne, who was in the film and focusing on the wood wide web and Peter Wallopin's The Hidden Life of Trees talking Mm -hmm. about the interconnected mycelial networks connecting the larger forest ecology in these roles and even applications for culture that are more tangible uh, as food but also for fashion for biomaterials so yeah there's definitely been this infection thread that has expanded upon and you know as Leif said definitely as people who study fungi or work with fungi or even talk about fungi it's been advantageous for people there's a lot more attention around it So kind of the whole point of this project that we're doing with the Applied Mycology podcast, even with your book, is providing this context that there are people that have been out there studying and educating. And whereas people, their first introduction is with the visual aspect or, you know, a gift or even thinking now there are even parts of art or even just in commercials or even just in media and kind of in the background, part of the public collective unconscious. Where do we go from here to where do we learn that this is kind of something that is really the only direction is up? Because there's something that's so popular now, but they've been here for eons and will be here for eons more. Yeah. I mean, it feels to me like, and I'm, I'm gratified to hear that you, you feel that way about the book playing a role in that conversation, because it seemed to me an opportunity to kind of offer a sense that like there is reason to be enamored with and, and enchanted by fungi and to to live through that honeymoon period of the new and unusual or, or unexpected. It's actually not new or unusual fungi. That's just our, our sense for them. But what better way to like be introduced and to like watch them growing from, you know, logs or insects in beautiful cinematography and to 
to hear about all the things they can do and the unexpected and amazing aspects of their ways of life. But that only takes you so far. I think that at a certain point, you know, either you lose interest after that because it's another curiosity, not to suggest that that's all that film presents, but at a certain point, you got to ask what's next. And I think what's next is, well, we do work that's about building community and we deepen our consciousness about our place in the world, all these themes that we keep talking about. I feel like the answers are there. If we're seeking answers, if we're asking what the next yes and is, all these amazing facts about fungi that get thrown at us that more and more people are becoming conscious of, the next is, I think, exemplified by a lot of people in this book and a lot of people that I couldn't include in the book, unfortunately, who are working with fungi in ways that point to ideas that are bigger than just fungi. And that almost feels like a sacrilegious thing to say in the context of like a fungi podcast, a guy who wrote a fungi book. I think it can become a kind of totalizing, like it's all about fungi, but it's really not. And that's the point. Fungi offer a lens onto a much broader perspective. And that broader perspective, if you embrace it, comes with some responsibility that we recognize lifestyles can and should probably change. And, you know, our economic systems can and should probably change. And there are injuries and injustices that still resonate and are not just part of history, but alive today that we need to address. And somehow fungi have found connection to all of these things and these different communities and people are examples of that. So to me, the next step is sort of exemplified by what's hinted at at the end of that film. There are these people like William Padilla Brown, like Trad Cotter, and people who are less prominent and who I tried to give space in the book as well. I think the POC fungi community, for example, is like a really encouraging instance that fungi are at the cause for the gathering, but they're not the purpose, if that distinction makes sense. The fungi provided an opportunity to do work that is well beyond fungi. That's a really good point to make. I was actually getting ready to ask you this question that you kind of already addressed and touched on there, which is that if you think there is a risk and becoming so interested and enthusiastic about fungi that one starts to lose perspective or touch with other parts of reality or the world because it's I something I feel like I have noticed myself I've observed it happen I've had to at times in my life rein back in my thinking of like wait why did I get into this? Because I wanted to learn more about nature and how to, you know, improve the health of nature. And at certain points, like, okay, fungi are awesome, but I can't forget about all the other components of the ecosystem because they're all important too. And, you know, or even with what you were just mentioning, kind of maybe losing sight of bigger cultural challenges we need to address and getting swept up into maybe some sort of like mycological euphoria. Mm. Yeah, somehow it just makes sense as like a trip, you know, in a sense, like not to alienate anyone who hasn't done that. And I hope it's okay to talk about psilocybin experiences and stuff, but you have a moment of profundity and frame shattering experience that in the moment feels like the most important thing of all time. And then you come down and you recognize that you have to factor that whatever insights you gained into your daily life, into regular life. And there's this explosion of interest. And I think that's due largely to just the lack of literacy around fungi and lack of exposure that most people have. And we're recognizing all of these aspects of it in a great kind of, you know, awakening, maybe that's overstating it. But 
lots of people are becoming turned on to this stuff in short order. And the fact that this book is like viable right now that I was given the go ahead to write a book and a publisher is willing to you know take the risk on it is I think a sign that there's a lot of awareness and just a, a well of awareness yet to be tapped. And I think it would be irresponsible to do that without pointing to that bigger picture. Otherwise, it's just another market to exploit. And I feel really lucky that, you know, I met Olga at Smugtown kind of right off the bat because it was my introduction to this. And it was an example of how it's a business because it has to be, not because it wants to be, you know, in order to do what it's trying to do. Right. It has to operate in this context. So that gave me, I think, a North Star of sorts. And as I learned more and more, like I always had in the back of my mind that like, yeah, this is all really fascinating and neat, but it's part of something else. It's part of something broader that fungi are just, they're taken up as symbols by movements that are completely not science focused or like, you know, social justice discourse, like scholars and activists are like taking up fungi as meaningful symbols that, you know, they don't grow mushrooms or sell them or anything like that, but they hold on to them as really potent symbols. Thinking of Leah Peniman and Soulfire Farm, which is east of Troy, Grafton, New York, I think it is. And they're a farm that is all about reconnecting communities of color with their traditions of land stewardship. It's not a mushroom farm, but she readily invokes mycelial metaphors in like Mother Tree, the, the Suzanne Simard example, like to explain the work that she's doing in trying to build a nationwide solidarity around re-enfranchising communities of color in land stewardship. So that intersection is like there and i think it's deepening and broadening and is to me the most exciting part about fungi and the growing interest in them it's great that they have all of these applications these direct applications that people are exploring but even more encouraging is that it's giving voice to work and ideas that speak to much more fundamental problems or issues in our society and the way that we relate to nature. And I really hope that if interest in fungi continues to rise, that it just means that more and more people will be caught in that direction of draft. I'm trying to think of the right term to use here. I, I hope that they'll be caught in that same current that led me to where I am in, in my perspective and so many others. And my hope is that the book is going to contribute in some small way to moving people from that phase of fascination and infatuation with fungi to, okay, what does it mean? And how can this change my perspective in the way that I am in the world and the kinds of communities that we build moving forward? If we accept that what we're doing now as a society is unsustainable, then we need to find alternatives and we need to do things differently. And I think that fungi, among other things, but in, in unique ways, offers uh, examples and opportunities to move in a better direction. So it sounds like your book and this culture, it inoculates people, and then that inoculation maybe creates a more open, interconnected, holistic view of things. And the interesting thing about that metaphor of inoculation is that it doesn't mean you learn about it and you're just immediately converted into being a mycoevangelist. It might be that those spores, they need some time to germinate and have the proper conditions mm -hmm and start growing, but then at a certain point, it starts to click. But at the same time, I think it's also it's important, because we've been talking about this subject, that you get inoculated, you start to see bigger picture stuff, but be careful about becoming so consumed with fungi that they're the central focus of everything, because... Mm. You know, if we think about this from an ecological context, there's like the whole discussion of, 
you know, did we domesticate the cereal grain plants or did they domesticate us because, you know, it completely shifted the way we live afterwards. And that's a big example, but I've seen it, you know, if you're not careful, all of a sudden, you know, everything you do might revolve around fungi and growing fungi and maybe it's not even what you were trying to do and you have, you know, unknowingly become, you know, <laughs> a an appendage of the fungus and you're just doing their bidding. I think that's something that a lot of people in the mycology scene will admit that is going on and happened to them and yeah. yet their life seemed <laughs> to have improved after becoming subservient to fungi. There is definitely this in uh, this sort of ineffable thread this common motif that's you can kind of see a texture but can't really articulate through that kind of progression of that journey of learning about fungi and going from the process of the sentimental to the theoretical to the practical and along the way because we know so little about them in reference to other organisms there's always that potential to kind of going through that cycling again but then also as well as kind of that germination and that progressive growing out into its environment you know, you meet others along the way that have similar skills and forms. And definitely the reason why, you know, we're here today is kind of the organic capacity of this phenomena about talking about these organisms. So it's this way where it's mysterious. And yeah, the common joke among some cultivators I know is that really as much as I'm cultivating them, they're cultivating us. It's the kind of that symbiosis that does form between organisms in a larger ecology. So it's kind of the factor is we do have this view of the world that it was built for us and by us and for our intention. Anything that doesn't align with it is unnatural or unfit, but it's fitting that fungi can definitely deconstruct that anthropocentric narrative in a very sudden uh, way, but also a far more subtler way and continuous way. Yeah, I, just in reflecting on the idea of inoculating people, I, I'm realizing that this book might be my mushroom. You know, like this, uh, wherever I was at in life, you know, these, <laughs> the, the inspiration, you know, landed and I'm sorry for that, but I, uh, I was at a place where I was trying to find hope and opportunity about the future and what we or I might do to move things, you know, in whatever way toward a better outcome and fungi landed at that moment in my life and came to define my life in a pretty profound way that I could never have predicted to the extent that my first book was written about fungi and the people that gather around them. And I don't know that I'm going to go start a mushroom farm or try to eke out a living in the mycosphere after this. You know, I may write a book about something totally different next, but I don't think that inoculation can ever be undone. And I don't know that I want it to be. I guess to belabor the metaphor, you know, one has to ask whether the relationship they have is parasitic or mutualist you know but all in all it's like the the benefit outweighs the the cost so much with uh, building this type of uh, you know field of fascination or relationship and yeah it is like your your book will likely be a potent spore dispersal mechanism for this realm of thinking and i liked what you're saying about like you're trying to find hope and this is something that brought you into this because even it made me think of this quotation by gandhi was something along the lines of it's not too late you just don't know what you're capable of yet hmm. and i think like for some reason i was thinking of that when you were talking about hope and understanding fungi because it is this like you know to me one of the most 
ways to frame things in the modern world in an optimistic lens is to think of like how little we actually understand what goes on on our mm. planet. And that even though that seems maybe nihilistic, I view it as being more optimistic because it's like coming to the conclusion that, you know, our planet is in a deep, dire state. It relies on assumptions that we kind of know what's happening and it's bad. Mm. And, and even no matter how much it seems that way, there's a lot we don't understand and don't know. And immersing oneself into a world like the world of fungi, I think, can be uh, at least, you know, it's like pulling back the curtain. It's opening one's eyes to that there's way more out there and way more going on than we could have ever imagined. Yeah, I, I think that hits the nail on the head. I mean, it's, um, it's a perspective changer to start down this path and... You can do anything you want, really, with a change in perspective. That's down to the individual or the culture or whatever. But becoming conscious of fungi and their role in the world, I think, helps to maybe see ourselves in more proper relationship to that bigger picture. It shrinks us. And again, you can find any number of ways into that perspective. But fungi just have this, maybe it's just of the moment, but they seem to have a unique ability to kind of draw us in and help us zoom out at the same time. And yeah, it feels potent to me. That feels like a useful process for us to be undergoing at this time. And there's power in recognizing our ultimate insignificance. And that, like we're saying, is the planet going to be okay? Is implicitly saying, are we going to be okay? Like breaking that <laughs> complex, I think is probably useful. And fungi, again, appropriately, they can help us dissolve or uh, decompose those uh, petrified perspectives that we've inherited as like masters of the planet, which is at a time when the planet is proving that we are no such thing. Yeah, fungi are useful reminders in that way. So we're kind of at the stage where as, at least in the English speaking world, because this is a perspective, we talk about how fungi are popular, but this is something that as people living in countries that had an influence of an English-speaking culture, this kind of fungophobia guided us, even though most of the world does interact in a fungal-philic interaction, kind of more in the mainstay of this. Hmm. So I guess there is hope in the fact that very much the culture that our language carries across the world has a huge impact upon it, given the fact that they're in vogue in, in the actual sense of the word and publication do you think there's potential for the shift in perspective for fungi being this non sequitur in human centered thought as a means to kind of open up after dissolving the fungal blindness, potentially dissolving the plant blindness, potentially dissolving the blindness of the ecology, you know, realizing that our environment is synthetic, but, but very much is generated through the natural materials and products that are out there. There was even a Recently, Nature published a paper stating that the total mass of synthetic materials has outpaced the total biological biomass, which I'm not sure if they fully understand how much really microbially there is out there, but it does take some pause at like what state we are in the Anthropocene where, you know, we're part of the geological record. So do you think there's going to be a lasting perspective as it's kind of entered the public consciousness that fungi are there and they're having a large impact upon our world and will? regardless if we decide to get our act together or not. Well, obviously, I hope so. And I feel like the shift in consciousness that they can facilitate, and I mean, st strictly speaking about this ecological 
perspective, because I think a lot of people put maybe not inappropriately, but a lot of stock in like the psychedelic dimension and perspective shifts that comes with that. But even just noticing mushrooms, you know, for the first time in a forest, in, in my own experience, was the beginning of a very profound shift in, in consciousness that I can't reverse and wouldn't want to. But in seeing how in my own life and just through conversations with people and demystifying or destigmatizing mushrooms and fungi in whatever way I could or however I might have done so, like has led to more and more people in my life who previously had no connection to this subject showing great interest. And I notice like I, more of my friends are composting now. And I don't mean just more people in my life from this world who think this way. I mean, people who didn't do that before. And it's not just down to me, but I think it's part of a broader current of awareness opening up toward ecological perspective. And somehow fungi just they bring us to that perspective in a way that like you could get to by becoming a botanist, obviously, you could get to this perspective by becoming a zoologist. I think that often happens, but yeah, it feels like a catalyst to a shift in consciousness that if it happens, we won't uh, really be talking about mushrooms to describe it. You know, it's going to be about something broader and bigger in the same way that if you start becoming fascinated by fungi, you find yourself talking about all sorts of other things. And I, I think if the process unfolds in a certain way, I think some people just talk about mushrooms and that's their thing. And that, that's another possible outcome. But in terms of like the cultural shifts that this emerging interest in mycology might augur, yeah, it's ultimately not going to be about mushrooms at all. And that seems appropriate. You know, I think other trends and other areas will probably lead other people into a similar awareness of the problems with our perspectives with regard to our relationship to the natural world and one another. But fungi are just doing a bang up job of it right now. I think they're unique in the ways that they are and behave and in the cultural associations. Like there's, I think also something to breaking long held cultural taboos. That's got a certain magic to it. I feel like there's a yeah, a sense of discovering the forbidden, all of these aspects to the fungi that just make it ripe as a subject to bring people in. As to whether it'll last or mark a really fundamental shift, you know, one of the themes that comes up in the book is that like the things that people are doing that may seem radical or the ideas that they're espousing are really only radical because of the context in which they're happening. And you know, like I spend time with Sandor Katz at a certain point in the book, and he's a fermentation revivalist. And he's practicing processes that involve fungi and bacteria that you can take a scientific perspective on, but he's taking a much more like casual, practical approach to them and bringing these practices into more and more people's lives, which comes down to preserving food, enhancing flavor, being thrifty. And none of that is all that radical on its own, but when you think about the food system in our country, the simple time-tested processes that he's elevating by comparison are quite radical. So all that to say that if people are becoming even a little bit more conscious of the natural world, the hidden dimensions of it, the interconnectedness of it, our inexorable connection to it, even a little bit of gain in that regard is a revolution. And from my perspective, so to see that fungi are shifting perspectives at such a broad scale or, or initiating an interest in nature and forest ecologies and getting people to try new foods and other ways of providing medicine for themselves and their communities, like I don't think that that's the sort of thing you can roll back once it's begun, or at least I hope not. <laughs> well said. 
Yeah, and it's like if the fungi do succeed in catalyzing shifts to more sustainable living for humanity, maybe by the end of it, like you said, they won't even be noticeable anymore. But it happened kind of with the metaphor of remediation and that maybe certain types of organisms increasing their abundance to decontaminate a landscape. But once it's not contaminated anymore, maybe you don't notice those ones anymore because they're not necessary. Right. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Doug, and sharing all this interesting perspective you've gathered in this uh, what sounds like a fascinating journey. The name of the book is In Search of Mycotopia. And where can people buy the book? And uh, when is it coming out, Doug? The book comes out March 10th with Chelsea Green, and it's available, as far as I know, anywhere that fine books are sold. Um, You can find it on Amazon, bookshop.org. You can buy it straight through the publisher. It's available at Barnes & Noble and probably other places too, eventually. Your local bookstore, hopefully, will be able to go to bookstores again uh, sometime shortly after it comes out. All right. So tell your local bookstore to carry this book because it'll be good for the community. Search of Mycotopia. Right. Well, we'd like to thank Doug for joining us and providing all of that fascinating perspective on the world of mycology and how it's influencing people. And you might have noticed some new theme music there. Doug created that as well. So a double thanks to Doug. If you like the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Leave a review, follow the show on Instagram and other social media platforms at Applied Mycology. And check out Doug's new book from Chelsea Green, In Search of Mycotopia. Available from fine booksellers near you.